NBC Sports Football Morning and American columnist Peter King. What do you think about the Chase Thomas podcast? I'd like to plug the Chase Thomas podcast. Listen to Chase Thomas. You'll be a smarter sports fan and obviously a much better human being. Matt Chernoff from 680 The Fans, Chuck and Chernoff Show here. And I want to say thanks for listening to today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. You can find it on Apple, Spotify, and all your favorite podcast apps. Chase Thomas went to Parkview in North Georgia. He's a local Atlanta kid, and he won't let the Luca versus Trey thing go. He interned with us back in the day, and you'll always remember him. Anyway, definitely go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com where you can find all of Chase's previous episodes, all of his articles, and do him a solid. Leave him a rating and review if you're an Apple Podcast listener. Reminder to listen to our show, Chuck and Chernoff, Monday through Friday, 3 to 7 on 680 The Fan, and subscribe to my podcast as well. Welcome to Matlana, wherever you get your podcasts. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I, hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of A Pod Divided here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ, down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is uh, it's good to be back here with you. Oh. Not a lot here. Not a lot from Matt. No follow up. Just uh, I didn't even do the whole thing. I could have done the whole everything school bit for you. I mean, another big win on the yeah, road at I Alabama. Thought just, I thought we could just get into it. Yeah, Tennessee, man. They're uh, they're are they going to be a one seed? They're are they uh, are they that good? I'm I'm I still I'm still a casual college basketball fan. Like I'm I'm watching Georgia some still, but still I'm still a casual college basketball guy. Well, I think. Um... I think it depends. Like it's just we talked about it on the Tennessee Ball Sports guys earlier, and I think Arizona still has the edge right now, barely. But um, Tennessee might need some help. But also, if Tennessee ends up uh, going four zero in these final four games against four top twenty five teams in the SEC, with the SEC being so much deeper in the Pac twelve, which is where Arizona's coming in, and just a really really bad conference um, this season uh, on the basketball front. Um, I don't know. I think if Tennessee wins out, I think they have a strong possibility, but they got to take care of business against Kentucky and get a win against South Carolina. And then we'll see um, three and one. I, and if Arizona finishes out with a two dubs against Air, uh, UCLA and USC, seems unlikely, but um, I don't know. Uh, I hope that's the case. I think Tennessee's one of the four best teams. I think they've earned it, but um, I, I don't know what's ultimately going to happen here, but it seems like the narrative nationally is that Tennessee is going to need some help down the stretch here to surpass uh, Arizona fair or not. But um, we'll see. There's still a lot of basketball left to be played and um, Arizona could get upset one more time. And who knows what might happen? Uh, uh, we'll, we'll see. But either way, I mean, baseball, rock and ting, uh, they run rolled Bowling Green every single game this weekend. Um, so that was run cool. Rule. Georgia, though, had rule. some fun over the weekend against Tech, I saw. Yeah, Georgia sweep tech. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. But there was something weird. I don't know if they finished the game or picked back up on Friday um, because I know it got called off. Um, I don't know if it was weather. I think it was weather related, right? Tech and Georgia. And y'all did something cool, which I think more more universities should adopt like all across the board, which is I don't know if you saw like how they mapped out the home locations for the weekend, but they did Friday, I think, in Athens or Friday at Tech saturday in athens and then sunday at a neutral site was it did they play at cool ray i think they, they played play at cool Ruist? 
it was either Truist or Cool Ray, one of the two. Um, but I like that. Like you do a home a home and home and then like one cool big MLB park uh, for your rival over the weekend. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. That's like uh, years ago when uh, the, the Yankees and Mets did the Subway Series, like double mm-hmm. header, same day in, in two different stadiums. Yeah, I like um, that. Yeah, it's a cool, cool gimmick. I think people, more people should do that. I think that's fun. Uh, little things to uh, make these weekend game series fun. But, you know, we have all the time in the world to talk all, uh, college basketball and college baseball. But we're not going to do it on this uh, very show, Matt Graham. We have other things to talk about. We have things like college football because college football never sleeps sir as you well know um more rule changes uh coming down the pike here and i wanted to kick things off because i think this is actually i'm surprised that it hasn't happened you know how some of these rule changes you're like "Mm." the one that i don't see how anyone could be um dismissive of or not a fan of is what came down the pike this past week matt green i want to get your perspective on this the two-minute warning like it's just one of those things where you're like, I'm actually kind of surprised that that has not already been added um, to college football, but that's a, it's a fun deal. And I, I like the line of demarcation uh, with the two minute warning where we get that uh, sound, obviously stadium going nuts. Cause you get ready for a final drive. You, there's already a lot of intensity when it comes to uh, the final minute or two of so many uh, big time college football games. And I just think adding the two minute warning just adds another layer of just intensity to some of these game winning drives. And I think it's fun. I think it's a net win. But the face you're making here on YouTube.com slash Chase podcast, I don't think you're all the way in. Are you going the other way on the two minute warning, Matt Green? Yeah, I just I don't I don't see the point. I just as the NFL is a great sport, right? But college football is different and I just don't want to see it become like the exact carbon copy of the NFL. And I think the NFL with their clock rules, the two minute warning makes sense. And I like, let's be honest. They were like, wait, we can get another ad break in there at two minutes. Let's go ahead and do that. Obviously that's probably what's driving this more than anything, but you, you just, as, as, as time goes on, I just, I want college to have their certain rules and the pros that have, have their certain rule. Like there's, there's some that, that don't make sense that they're they're different like the the one foot in college and two foot two feet in the pros like that that one's that makes sense these guys are professionals that it takes a little bit more for that for them to get a catch but like like the um going down with no one touching you i don't know why that hasn't that rule hasn't been changed at like every classification of football like years ago like if you if you make a diving catch and no one's around get up and keep running like i've, I've never really understood why that rule is different in the nfl mm-hmm. uh versus college but I don't know with, with what we have, the clock rules in college where the, the clock stops. And, and I guess that they did change that. So it's only in the final two minutes, but it, that the NFL doesn't even have that. So it seems like the NFL kind of needs that two minute warning more than college does with how the existing clock w- rules already exist. You're telling me when you're at your Georgia game next fall here, this fall, Matt Green, the two minute warning dong bangs in Sanford Stadium and let's just say I don't even know the insert team name here uh, maybe it's Tennessee Tennessee will be in Sanford uh, this fall has an opportunity to drive down the field for a game-winning drive you're telling me you're not going to be losing your mind in the stadium because the two-minute warning hit and the stadium's just going absolutely berserk because you know the uh, where you're at in the game and just the whole there's just something nice. I don't care. I understand the NFL comparisons and trying to make everything NFL light. This is one that I just think it, it slaps like in a two minute warnings rock. I'm very much here for two minute warnings 
the, this this is a easy home run for me. I think it's just going to be awesome in the in the stadium. No, and I don't have a strong stance against it. I just there there's certain aspects of the college game I just like better. Uh, but we'll see. You know, I I'm I'm not I'm not as as against this one. What were the other two uh, rules they? They throw so the other two is the helmet communication, helmet coach communication, um, yeah. that looks to be instituted. Um, which I'm more fascinated not that it's coming into the game, but which coaches utilize it because I don't think every program is going to do this. I think some it's more advantageous than others. Um, and I think the way it is in the NFL is one um player on each side is uh got the helmet communication. I don't think everybody has it. I think it's only one on each side. So one defender, usually your linebacker, your main uh guy here has communication and then the quarterback obviously on offense. But I'm very curious if every big time program utilizes this because I mean um I'm in RC for instance, Tennessee, uh with their hurry up and everything else, if uh they utilize it. Um I just think every coach and every program has a different philosophy and um, it's more advantageous for some to institute the um, that uh, that policy. And also um, the other one is sideline tablets, tablets. uh, So guys can rewatch game video from earlier in the same game. So tablets being added to the thing. Yeah, those those seem like no brainers, like whatever we got. We have the technology like you might as well. You might as well use it. Yeah um but we'll see uh i think that will be cool but either way more culturable changes this is better than the running clock and stuff like we've had some stuff where like i don't i don't really like this where they um where you know uh ball going out of bounds on a first down or the clock doesn't stop on a first like that kind of stuff was tough and you saw scoring change a little bit and how teams attacked i mean it affected tennessee obviously um this past year with tempo and everything else and just the amount of possessions and plays that each team had we saw plays down all across the board so it cut into that but i think by and large these three a lot of fans won't really notice um by and large coming into the, the no untimed down at the end of the first and third quarters yeah. i just want to know who was watching football i was like you know this is just this is ridiculous these untimed downs at the end of the first and third just go to the other side of the field like yeah. i don't I, I don't know who that was bothering but 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 sure whatever hey you know whatever dog bites matt green um what do you got this week uh in terms of the georgia bulldogs for us I mean, I think the the biggest story this week, uh, you know, in the off season is the NFL Combine. Like, I think there's a lot of college football fans that really the the Combine and the draft is kind of their favorite part of the NFL season because that's when their their college is kind of on display. So, like you heard, I mean, I don't know how many times they they threw the logo up there, the Combine with the Michigan M, and obviously. Rich Eisen, huge Michigan guy. So they had 18 guys at the combine and everything. But you saw a couple years ago with Georgia after the, the uh, national championship, like how it was just a showcase of their program. Um, but this year, I, I feel like uh, the two guys that probably made the most noise uh, from, from Georgia were probably Amarius Mims and Ladd McConkey. Amarius Mims, I think most people that know Georgia have known this all along, and he's just it's just lack of experience that he's only had like one year as a starter. But I mean, this guy listed at six, eight, three forty. Like I, I he ran a five Oh seven in the 40, which doesn't even really matter. These guys aren't running 40 yards that often, but it just speaks to the, to the freak that this guy is. I, I think I saw a stat that it was like 10 offensive linemen in the last like 20 years or something had run up sub like five, one. 
and they were wow. all like 310 pounds or less. And so Mims at 340, it's he's he's essentially like the Jordan Davis of the offensive line, like just a just a freak. Uh, and I think even though he only has a year as a starter, like with what he did at the combine, you could see, and I, and also the shuttle I think was a big deal. Ran like a 427 shuttle, which was like one of the fastest ever, I think. Um, so Amarius Mims, I think he could even crack into the top 10 just because of the physical freak that he is. I think scouts really know about him more than, more than maybe some, uh, like mainstream fans know about him. I always love the Mims high school, uh, video of him next to all of his, his peers and teammates (laughs) where he's just, uh, he's so much bigger than everybody else. It looks like he's, it's a freshman game, like with how, with how much bigger he is. Where does he compare to all time? Great offensive tackles coming out of georgia was he like by and large for somebody who watched mims and watched every georgia game like was he a linchpin was there anything that concerned you about him or that if you're an nfl team you should be a little concerning like in terms of andrew thomas obviously comparisons there um as another elite tackle who's become one of the best offensive tackles uh in the nfl with new york um what has it been like for mims as the anchor for the georgia offensive line yeah, Andrew, I don't think anyone compares to Andrew Thomas. It's like there's never been a guy that just came in right away and was just a starter from day one, three put three years, like best tackle in the, in the country, top five pick. Like he was just and, – and he had, I think, the natural progression of a lot of guys that the experienced guy, when you get there starting at left tackle, you come in and start at right tackle and then step into the left tackle position. That's the one thing I wonder about Amarius Mims is that he never moved over to left tackle. He only played right tackle, and you saw, I think it was, um, oh, shoot, I'm, I'm blanking on his name now, uh, the big dude from Rhode Island that trusts that would play mm-hmm. actual left and right tackle because they would kind of play three tackles each of the last two years, and Mims would only be at that right tackle spot. So I don't think you know scouts are really worried about that because you need a right tackle. Like Left tackles tend to make more money, but... Um, you know, I think it's still, you still just see the kind of freak this guy is. I I don't think you can put him in like an all time great Georgia, like player or anything, just because he wasn't necessarily the full-time starter in 2022. And then last year he had some injuries. So you, you almost didn't even get one full season out of him. And you just got kind of two years of him in the rotation. He was obviously the, the, the starting right tackle when he was healthy, but I don't think you'd put him up there with the all-time greats or anything at Georgia, even though he is a, you know, you know what kind of prospect he is. Like I'd put Broderick Jones, I think in what, in terms of what Broderick Jones did, like he's the same kind of just, uh, you know, athletic physically, like just physically gifted. But I mean, he was like three ten or something. He's nowhere near the size of a Marius Mims, but I think he gave you like a full season, like big time performance in the national championship game as a, as a sophomore uh, against Will Anderson and then turned it into a really good junior year and turned himself into a top, I think 20 pick uh, last year. So I, I would probably rank both Andrew Thomas and um, Broderick Jones ahead of, of, of Mims just as a, in terms of as a Georgia player. And then, I mean, lastly, Brock Bowers, he's super interesting in terms of where he's going to ultimately end up. Like I, it, it seems like he could go all over the place and you read different mocks, different analyses on where Brock Bowers might ultimately end up. I don't know. You've seen as high as top five 
maybe he falls to the late first, depending on how teams value tight ends, um, depending on how interviews went with Brock Bowers um, this past week. But I don't know. Like, what do you what do you make of Bowers combine uh, coverage this past week? And also, is there a team in particular that you would most like to see uh, Bowers end up on? Uh, for one, I'm just disappointed that he didn't run the 40 and everything because I think, you know, there's certain guys every year that come out and just don't have the same uh, to prove. You know, I mean, Marvin Harrison wasn't even at the combine, right? So mm-hmm. um, when in terms of Bowers, like, I think he is unquestioned just kind of how good he is. I just personally, as a fan, wanted to be able to put numbers. I want to be able to assign numbers to Bowers, right? Like mm-hmm. we saw Kyle Pitts. What do you run like a four three five or something like that? Something just, like that. Just an absurd time for a tight end. And you saw uh, McConkey. Obviously, we can get to McConkey, but like he ran a four three nine. Like as a Georgia fan, the last couple of years, I think most people would say Brock Bowers is probably faster than Lad McConkey. At least, if not faster, just as fast. So I really wanted to see what kind of performance bowers could have put up but um i think he is one of those guys it, it almost feels like the point we're getting to because he didn't work out like we're not um we're kind of it feels like we're kind of sleeping on how good bowers is like i've seen projections of him going like 18th overall and things like that after seeing like consistent top five projections pretty much all all season so i'm not sure i i think we know how good bowers is it just kind of depends on a team has to have a plan. And and I don't know that Kyle Pitts, it shouldn't affect uh, where you draft Brock Bowers, but there could be people out there looking at Kyle Pitts was a, a wasted top five pick. This guy's done nothing in, in what now three years in the NFL. And I think a lot of other people would, would challenge that and say he's been, you know, underutilized, but I think, a lot of it just depends. Does someone have a plan on how they want to use a weapon like Brock Bowers and how willing are they uh, to, you know, maybe trade up or just spend a top five or, or top 10 pick for it. It's also kind of a luxury, uh, you know, to a playmaking tight end. You know, you, you address other needs probably before a tight end when you're building a football team. Yeah, and I I'm just very curious. I mean, I think the Chargers would be really cool uh, for him with Harbaugh. Um, I Saints are a good fit for him. I just don't want him to go to the Saints, and I don't want to deal with Brock Bowers in the division for uh, twice a year for the foreseeable future. Um, and they just brought in Clint Kubiak, uh, um, who they've always prioritized tight ends in that uh, Shanahan type offense. So um, you want to all like. I think that'd be a good fit for him too, but we'll see where Brock ultimately ends up. But uh, anyway, uh, another, a lot of dogs will be drafted early. Maybe lab at Conkey in the first round too. Um, Dude, we'll McConkie see. Put on a show, man. I think um, running a four, three, nine. I don't think anyone saw that from Lad McConkey. I think we know he's got speed, but running sub four, four, like seeing the, the side-by-side comparison with uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, mm and Lad McConkey in terms of height and weight and vertical and 40, just two guys almost identical. And, and we know what kind of athlete uh, Garrett Wilson is. So um, that, and that's not to say McConkey's just that just as good, uh, but, and that's a top 10 pick and a guy who's been good in, in his first two years in the NFL. Um, but I think what's crazy to me, you also look at AD Mitchell. When you, when you look at uh, that 2021 uh, University of Georgia, just team, that has at this point in the last two classes had had eight first round draft picks. Like 
you look at this this 2024 draft, like Brock Bowers and Marius Mims could could both be first rounders. Um, maybe John Bullard, maybe Kamari Lassiter. Uh, Ladd McConkey might could be in the getting the first round, and AD Mitchell. I mean, this guy ran a four three five. Like he's also a, a big time uh, member of that 2021 team, and that's not even counting like George Pickens and Nicobe Dean and, and James Cook, who's already been good in his second year in the NFL. Like so that that 2021 team, like we talk about how loaded the defense was, but now you're looking at that offense could potentially have about four first rounders on it um, in terms of two offensive linemen and a couple of playmakers. I mean, maybe more. I don't I don't know that McConkie actually goes in the first round. I would still be surprised at that just because I think it's a pretty loaded receiver class. Like you'd have to have like eight first rounders or something for McConkie to go to go first round. Right. Like, is he a top five receiver in this class? You know, it's funny. Um, his measurables are almost exactly Eddie Royals. Um, I saw. So Trevor Sikama had mm-hmm. that comp and then he, uh, he, that was, it was a big shot call, uh, by, uh, uh Trevor Sikama on that, where he like made the comp to Royal and then they tested almost identical. Like their measurables and everything is almost identical. But Mike Renner, um, who does Renner ranks on the lockdown network, formerly of PFF as well, big NFL draft guy, he had the comp of, of Antonio Brown. His tape reminded him of Antonio Brown in college. So, Lad, oh, I think it does. Someone else said, who's uh, oh, the film guy uh, that does Georgia stuff? Oh, oh Brooks Austin? Yeah, he said Antonio Brown a few months back. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I think he's like someone, like if he goes to the Bills or the Chiefs, I think it's in the best interest for Lad to be somewhere at the end of the first round. Because I think if he lines up like you can easily see the chiefs utilizing somebody like Pat, uh, lad McConkey and him just flourishing in the chiefs offense. You could also see him just flourishing with Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen in Buffalo. So I think either of those two spots, if he can fall to one of those really, really good teams ready to win now that kind of needs some wide receiver help, um, older wide receiver help. I just feel like lad, um, would pencil in and just be really good right away. If he can stay healthy. No, I definitely think so. I think McConkey, he's been a he. He kind of does everything. I like. I think yeah. the people that don't really know about him, you know, look at a white guy and he's like, oh, he's going to be a nice little slot receiver. It's like, no, this guy's a deep threat. Like, yep. I always wonder why he didn't return punts more at Georgia. He seems like he would have that ability and his shiftiness. Uh, he's a big after yards after catch guy. So, um, I, yeah, I think he could definitely be a player at the at the next level. I just look at like you got Marvin Harrison Jr. Brian Thomas, uh, now Xavier Worthy setting the record for the NFL record for the 40 yard dash. Like that had to do something for Xavier Worthy. He had definitely has some first round potential at this point. Roma Dunze, like Xavier Leggett, like there's so many dudes that I, I feel like could go first round. I don't know that McConkey is still in that, in that group, but I mean, I, I, I at the same time, I think he's going to be a good player. I agree. Um, Matt Green, switching gears here a little bit. Good look or bad look for you? Shane Beamer publicly talking about James Coley's departure to the dogs, um, becoming the wide receiver coach uh, at Georgia after being briefly the wide receiver coach at South Carolina. Beamer having to make two wide receiver coach hires now this offseason. But the way he talked about it, of like it saving South Carolina some money to go out and get a better coach in Mike Fury, who is uh, mostly an NFL guy, not a lot of college ties. So we'll see how he does in the recruiting trail. 
um, obviously a lot of experience as an NFL longtime receiver and then as an assistant coach. But I, I thought this was certainly a choice. Um, it was one of those where you, you see like the, the clickbait stuff on it. And then you're like, eh, it's probably sensationalized. And then you watch it and you're like, I don't think that is what I would have done uh, in that situation. I probably wouldn't have said all that out loud. And that seemed a little unnecessary. What did you what did you make of Shane Beamer's comments um, just on the wide receiver uh, debacle um, in South Carolina this offseason? Well, I'll start by saying I feel for Shane Beamer because this is why this coaching carousel just kind of sucks. It's just, it's yeah. continuing. We're into March, you know, and it's just still, there's still spots to be filled and everything. So I feel him on that because I think South Carolina getting James Coley, like that's a, that's a big time guy to get as a wide receiver coach for South Carolina and a, a big brother, uh, you know, just, just kind of flexed on you. Like, Oh, we want that. We're going to go ahead and take that from you. And, and that's, and that's what Georgia did. So, I can understand the frustration, but I feel like time and time again, the more Shane Beamer kind of talks, the more he just kind of, ah, uh, he shouldn't have said that. Like, like it's like when when a fan has an opinion, it's like, okay, you think you want the coach to to say what the the opinions the fan has until the coach actually says it, and you're like, oh wow, he kind of sounds, he kind of sounds like he's whining a little bit. This is just like oh we're we're glad we actually got a better coach for for less money so you know good it's like okay man like you obviously wanted him on your staff you get it like george is a better opportunity for him so he went there like you get what it is so i don't know it just it just comes off as little, as whiny every time he he goes on these little kind of rants and to add the full picture here he said quote I don't think we'd I, I didn't think we'd be here again introducing a wide receivers coach. And this speaks to what you're saying. It is what it is. The previous receivers coach uh, made a decision that he felt was best for his family. We collected the four hundred fifty thousand dollars and then some that we were owed for violating or leaving his contract. It allowed us to go out and hire an even better wide receivers coach in my mind. I mean, it's the second part that was just not necessary. I They were uh, coaches together on uh smart staff where he was um wide receivers coach and uh i think beamer was tight ends coach uh for a couple of years together so i mean this seems like a i don't know it just it, i'm surprised that it came out of especially about coley because it seemed like they've known each other for a long time and maybe it just stung a little bit more that he went back to georgia um this late in the calendar or whatever but i just this is something i, I didn't really understand and then the whole even better receivers coach i mean I don't know. It just is odd to say that publicly. It just did not come off. I'm sure the way uh, many South Carolina fans or um, maybe even Beamer after listening back to it would have hoped. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's just kind of cringe, you know, like I, um, not to be a millennial over here, but I, I just, I don't know. You just, you don't want your coach talking like that. You just, you don't want, you don't want your coach to be bothered by anything. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, you can tell he's bothered by that. And all I got to say is like, Hey, we wish with James Coley the best, um, worked with him a long time. Um, part of the process, but we feel confident in who we got to replace him. We're excited about Mike Ferry joining our staff. Like that's uh, the way around it. Like you don't actually have to do the, it saved us money and we use that money to upgrade. Like, I, I don't know. I, it's, very strange to throw that out there, I think, publicly um, uh, to 
somebody like Coley on the way out that you have a lot of history with. Um, Matt Green, SEC 2023 season review series continues on. Florida, Matt Green. Um, obviously not the season that they wanted in 2023. A lot of, I mean, we got Spurrier now entering the the public conversation about uh, the Florida Gators and where they're at as a program this week. But um, Matt Green, what did you make of the 2023 Gators? Did they, when you look at their schedule and what ultimately ended up happening, was it about right uh, based on the personnel and everything else that you had thought of coming into the year? Did they overachieve, underachieve, or was it right where they should have been based on everything else? That's a it's really when you phrase the question that way, it's it's a really interesting question because what were they preseason wins to like five and a half? Something it's like, like that, yeah. they were right there at five and seven. I think because of the Arkansas game, that that feels like the one game that you're just like that was kind of unacceptable. You lost to Arkansas at home, like their one SEC win the entire season. Like that would have put them in a bowl game. I think the entire perception of the maybe you even win a bowl game, you know. I think the entire perception of the program could be different right now if you if you win that Arkansas game. Um, it's like the 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 starting five and two. Like let's not forget, like the game in Jacksonville actually meant something. Like that was actually like something on the line. They were five and two, like three and one or something in the SEC. Maybe maybe it was only two. Yeah, three and one, four and one in the SEC. I think coming in. So their season, it actually looked like they were playing for something, and then to lose five in a row uh, to end the year, not make a bowl game. There's something about bad, and then like not making the bowl game bad. Like usually, like December comes and your season's over. It's one thing to be playing a bowl game on December 23rd, but it's another to just not be playing one at all. Yeah, and I mean, they ended on, what, a five-game losing streak? Um, yeah. Which is tough. But, look, you the Utah game caught a lot of folks by surprise. That one just looked ugly. There was a lot of miscommunication, a lot of errors um, in that Utah game. And you lose to Utah without Cam Rising, obviously. And um, you just felt like you should have had a better performance out of the gate there with 11 points on the road at Utah. But you also beat Tennessee at home. Big win. So you get over the... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The Tennessee hump there uh, for Billy Napier after losing year one. It's a big win. You win at South Carolina. That's a big one. You get drubbed at Kentucky. That was tough because Kentucky is one where they're just starting to have your number a little bit. Like it, there, it's one thing to lose to Kentucky if you're Florida every now and then, but there's a reason that you had this one of the longest streaks. Like, what was it? Didn't they have the longest just head-to-head winning streak against? Yeah, Kentucky? it was like 35 in a row or something. Yes, like that. there's a reason that it was that long, and for it to kind of just go the way. And I understand it's Kentucky is the strongest it's been in our lifetime, and they are. Mark Stoops has got a good program there. But you still have better players every time you're going up against Kentucky. You sh- should not be 
losing to Kentucky as much as you've lost to Kentucky of late. And that last year's team wasn't a juggernaut. And for you to struggle the way you did and to lose in that game, it was just kind of a really deflating, um, deflating loss. But you bounce back. I mean, no one's going to hate you for getting blown out by Georgia. The rough one to me, because the final three, I mean, LSU, Missouri and Florida State were all top 10 teams um, by the end of the year. Like those are all respectable losses. The one that stinks is like the and this was the difference in a bowl game was Arkansas. You can't lose to a bad Arkansas team at home. That was the one where you're like, oh, no, this can't. No, this this that's one you just got to have. And I think we look at this offseason just a little bit differently if they go to the bowl game and they have that home loss, that home victory, because outside of that, that one in the Kentucky game. I mean, that's about where they should have been in year two for Billy Napier, right? Yeah, because I don't even think the Kentucky loss is bad. Like at Kentucky, like there is some like it, it's used as like a, Kentucky. you're Florida. It's used as like trolling online, you know, uh, but the whole Super Bowl conversation. But there are like Super Bowl vibes when when Florida comes into Kentucky, right? Like that kind of is the big game Kentucky thinks they can win. So there's something about the atmosphere. And obviously the game got turned like, just turned on its head, I think in like a four or five minute period. But you look at like that South Carolina game, like that, that was one of those wins that felt like a, like a character building win at the time. Like, cause they had to, they had to have the last minute drive to, to come back and, and win that one. And so to win that. And, and now it looks like once it, it you're looking at a five and seven season, you're like, well, we went five and seven and, and shoot, we barely even beat South Carolina. Like it could have been, it could have been four and eight. Like I think it look it's, it's looked at from more of an, uh, a negative uh, lens. And I mean, like you, like you said, the Missouri game was still close too. like, they could have won that game. So um, that, that one took a last second win for Missouri. So I, they were very close to being in a bowl game. I just don't know how, like what, how, how many positive fans there can be of Billy Napier right now. Like, I know it's not all his fault. He didn't inherit a good program, but two years in, uh, two back-to-back losing records, like his seat just has to be on fire right now. Matt Green, they lost to, so they've lost three straight Kentucky, which that's, you just can't, it just, you just can't if you're Florida. Also, before they lost in 2018, before that, the last time they lost to Kentucky was 1986. Yeah, it's it's uh, but in fairness, Kentucky is a completely different program like Kentucky. The last 10 years is better than it's ever been like in history. That's so I think I mean, Tennessee, this is probably the worst 10 year run that Florida has had in the last 40 years. I mean, that's all true, but Tennessee still beating Kentucky every year. It's one of those where it's like, this is a solid Kentucky program. And like I said, like Kentucky is solid, but Tennessee is still beating Kentucky every year with good teams, um, sometimes in blowouts. But for sure, I don't know. It's definitely not good. It's not good to be listed to Kentucky. But uh, um, yeah, I, that, and it's, it's just hard to like when I look at their season as like I was got blasted in that game. I don't look at that as being one of like the bad losses as but, weird. As like imagine say. high school, Matt. Like I'm uh, high school, Matt, and I'm telling you, hey, in the future, Kentucky might beat Florida, an entire Florida class, an entire Florida class might go 0 for 4 against Kentucky in your lifetime. You'd have been like, no way. Is that right? They've lost three in a row. Yes. 
That's wild. Yeah, that is that is just kind of unacceptable. No, I mean it just is. Like you're just Florida. There that's like one of those where it's like I don't know, man. You got to you got to give uh win those. Um it's definitely the Arkansas loss. That's that yes. was like just the how how can you do that? 100%. Like that team couldn't score any points at all. And they, they came in the and dropped the... 39 in the in the swamp. I think there was a pick 6 in that. It was um, ugly. But but yeah, it was. Yeah, but then outside bad. of that, you look at it and you're like, I just feel like if Napier doesn't make it through, I'm like, look at the schedule the last two years and the losses. I mean, who did you want him to beat, really? Like, who who on this schedule do you do you feel you're like Florida should be like eight and four, nine and three? I'm like, who who do you have? I mean, just where they Absolutely. are as a program. I don't so, know. So um, Charlie Strong, he he got fired after three years, right? At Texas. Mm-hmm. And did Tom Herman, did he get three or did he get four years? It's a good question. He may have gotten a fourth year, um, but I don't know. Like I even feel for um, uh, for for Billy Napier right now because he got four. Okay, so looking at this 2024 schedule, like I know we know McElwain. McElwain was a weird situation. He only got a couple years. Muschamp got like four years. He at least had one good season in there. McElwain won the East twice. Mullen. Mullen really had the one bad season and and got fired with three straight se- even with the landscape of college football and the SEC changing like there is you know like Georgia becoming the number one program in the country like that that has to be taken into account right like okay this isn't this isn't losing to Georgia in, in 2016 it's not the same thing you know what i mean so you just look at the what the SEC has become it it's it's become tougher for Florida. So the the expectations on Florida should be lower than they once were. But if if you go three straight years without making a bowl game, I don't know what kind of like improvement you can possibly show, like moral victory type stuff to to survive three straight losing seasons. Like I I just don't I just don't see that. I don't either, but it's man, toughest schedule in college football next year. The Florida Gators. Like if so. they start one and five, is that like a good thing? And then they finish six and six or something like or, or five one and, and five seven. Is, one and five is uncharted waters. I mean if they if they start but but if they show improvement, like that's the only way that they show improvement down the stretch. Does that make you feel good? Well, honestly, if they did, if they went like five and seven down the five and two down the stretch, they'd they're gonna play like five what top 15 teams say the back half so five looks, games their final five is ridiculous their final five actually let's just say this their final seven matt green at tennessee at or kentucky at home by georgia at texas lsu old miss at fsu i mean I, you're hoping for two best case scenario there no if they if they start one and five they're gonna win two games um it'll be the worst season of all time but yeah this is this is absurd i've never seen a schedule this difficult um i don't think ever watching college football like this could be the best Ole miss team we ever see like Mm -hmm. honestly like this could be the the best Ole miss team of all time texas is gonna be really good georgia's gonna be really good lsu is always good like to have like those could be four four top ten teams you're facing in October and November. Like that's just it's and and I think 
Florida fans should recognize that. And so I think that's what it's going to take. The It's going to take, you know, it's going to take like feelings. You know, there's that whole thing. Like people don't remember like what you say. They just remember how you make them feel or something. It's winning some of these rivalry games that just mean something, having some good moments to celebrate along the way. That's the only way. Just like some good feelings, like upsetting Georgia or something, beating uh, Texas in Austin. Like it's going to take beating Florida State or something, like winning a rivalry game, like Tennessee. Like it's going to take winning one, maybe two rivalry games that just kind of at least make you feel good after a five and seven season. Cause I'm not sure how it's possible for this team to make a bowl game. Like even if they are improved from a year ago, six wins just seems like such a task and they don't even have those cupcakes. Like the most, they have the Samford and then the second easiest game on their schedule is who UCF like Miami, like, like Miami, they're one of your picks to be a dark, dark horse, potentially, ACC champion next year. We're not even taught. We haven't even mentioned Miami at this point. So like, that's another team. That's a potential top 10, top 15 caliber team that they're going to have to face next year. Like I, it's just, even if they're, even if this was a good team, like if Georgia was facing this schedule, like you might predict two or three losses. Like it's, it's, it's that big of a, a it's that much of a gauntlet. hundred percent uh matt green switching gears here as we continue on our uh over under betting win totals uh here in the early part of march sir big 12 this week on the docket and we'll uh hit big 10 next week but um when you look at the over unders for the big 12 um what number is the most shocking to you when you look at uh, all the different over unders in the conference um, I don't have it pulled up in front of me. Let me let me pull up. You you start. Give me your numbers for to start on. So there's um a lot to like here. I think what's super interesting to me that jumps out uh, across the board, and like they're ranked ahead of them right now. They're ranked ahead of Tennessee. Arizona is eight and a half. They had a breakthrough year. They keep Noah for uh, is it for uh, Noah Fertita? Is that how you pronounce his last name? Uh, um, Fafita, I believe. What is it? I, ple- I think it's Fafita. Fafita, yeah. He's really good, and they found something with him. He gets, he stays. He doesn't make the jump to UW and all that. Brennan, I think he might be okay. I'm not the biggest just jump up and down. Uh, guy for that hire um i think jed fish did a really good job and we know in years past that that is a very very tough job and a very very tough place to win uh historically i don't like that eight and a half so they jump out the most to me is i don't he i mean what was brennan's record at uh san jose state it was not what you would think it was when he's coming in because um brent brennan he went 34 and 48 as a head coach um Seven and six, seven and five, five and seven, seven and one in the 2020 COVID year, five and seven. He might be okay. Maybe. I he hasn't won eight games as head coach yet. And now you move into the pack or the Big 12, uh, more of a deeper conference, more opportunities there. I mean, obviously Texas and Oklahoma lose uh leave the conference. So that helps things. 
I just that's that's one that jumped out to me out of the gate that I would probably run away from. I don't think Arizona is an eight nine one team. So seeing them in like the 14th, 15th ranked, I don't think they finished season ranked. I think they fall back to the mean and they're more of a seven six win team. Best case scenario in 2024 to me. So you're starting with a uh, with 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 uh with what i someone I, i'm not buying their win total just who you think is the most surprising so for me like my most surprising with arizona because i just i don't i think that's just too high eight and a half is near the top yeah. of the conference and i just don't think they're near the top this year yeah it's with the big 12 next year it's it's hard to know who's going to be at the top of this conference it feels like the most wide open conference in college football like no nine and a half is the is the highest win total, right? We yes. got Kansas State and Utah mm-hmm. at nine and a half. Like I would say, yeah, those are two teams any given year. Yeah, you feel good about them winning 10 games, but you wouldn't be surprised at all if they won less. So mm-hmm. I think UCF um is one that I wouldn't say they're necessarily surprising to me, but UCF is one that like it's it's just interesting to see them, you know, kind of at the top of the Big Twelve. Like they're they're at the top of a quote unquote power conference right now. It's just a a long way that that this program has come. No, I like the UCF one. Eight and a half is kind of shocking to see. KJ Jefferson comes into the fold um, from Arkansas for his final collegiate year. Gus Malzahn wins a lot of football games. They're obviously recruiting extremely well uh, at the top of the conference. I like that one for just. You know, people are going to gravitate, I think, naturally to uh, the staple that is Kansas State. Um, You've seen them win the Big 12 um, with this administration. Um, They're going to be good this year. But Utah, I think we'll always get some love there. And we'll talk about Utah in a second. But I think like probably the best sneaky, like most realistic Big 12 champ is UCF. I I like that one. I think UCF's going to be really good. And final KJ Jefferson year down there to get a chance to reset. yeah, no, I think uh, I like the UCF pool there. Yeah, I think they're also probably an answer to your to your second question of the best buy now candidate. UCF yeah. does feel like just because KJ Jefferson, I don't know, are we doing this again with KJ Jefferson? Like, do we, it feels like we fall in love with him every offseason because you look at him, you're just like, oh, this guy, he should be really good. Um, and he was really good for two years in the SEC, but he... Um, last year he just was not the same guy. You got to think playing against different competition in a Gus Malzahn offense, like has has found a way to utilize dual threat quarterbacks. Um, you just you got to have uh, hopes that he could be maybe the best quarterback in this conference next year. And I mean, they were 25th in pass defense this past year nationally. This is a pass happy conference. Um, I think that's important. I think they're going to have the bodies and the dudes on both sides of the ball. I. I like that. I think they might be a sneaky. Just that's a that's a good pull. I would hit the over right now on UCF. Um, so we'll see. I think people, especially if they beat Florida early in the season, they're they're going to get some buzz um, pretty early on here uh, for the Knights and the Big Twelve. Um, who is the hardest to get a feel for when you look at this? Who who's just like I don't I don't know about that, or I just I, I don't have a strong opinion one way or the other because I just I have no read on them in uh, in March. Man, I feel like I would say that about half of this conference. Like you just look at all of the six and a halfs and five and a halfs, and you're you know the the uh, the BYUs and Houston's and and these type of teams. Like man, I just Texas Tech or something like that. Like 
Oklahoma State, seeing them down at seven and a half, like you would have to, like you told me five years ago, 10 years ago, Texas and Oklahoma are leaving the Big 12. Who's the biggest beneficiary of that? It's Oklahoma State, without a doubt. Like I would think, oh, Oklahoma State's running that. They're going to get to college football playoffs. They're going to be a contender now. Like to see them in the middle of the conference, like I just, I have no idea what to expect uh, from Oklahoma State. And, and obviously, I, I didn't even mention Baylor, like Dave Aranda. Like, I don't, I mean, you know, they, they, they could be looking for a new coach next offseason as well. Yeah, um, it's a big year for Dave Miranda. I think uh, he brings in Jake Spavadol as his new OC, so they change gears uh, more uh, running, running gun, more air raid uh, this year uh, than what they've ran with Grimes and company over the last couple and being more of a ground heavy, heavy team. So I'm interested to see how that works um, for uh, Baylor, but um, we shall see. I think Baylor. For me, BYU, that four and a half is kind of like, mm, I don't know what to th- think about that. Uh, that it takes some getting used to. The one that I just don't have a feel for, four and a half for Houston. You mentioned them. Willie Fritz is a damn good football coach. And I just, I'm going to hit the over always, like with Willie Fritz. That guy overachieves wherever he goes. I understand he's on the older side. Um, but Houston's, there's a lot of talent there. He's not walking into a terrible situation. Um, I would probably lean towards the over. I don't know if they go bowling in year one for um, Willie Fritz down there in Houston, but he's one I would just probably ride with, like in terms of uh, the new big 12 teams and stuff and how he'll acclimate and everything else. And he's built a good staff there um, right out of the gate. I would probably lean towards Willie Fritz being pretty, pretty solid right away. So I think but he could do better in four and eight um, his freshman or his year one in uh, in Houston. Yeah, I could see that for sure. And and like you said with uh, a minute ago, like Arizona, like Arizona is a really hard one to feel for. Like we, we saw what those AAC teams new to the Big 12, like there weren't many that had success like going in last year. It's kind of interesting with the now the Pac-12 teams coming into the Big 12, like, you know, what we're going to see out of, out of some of these. Um, so uh, we... We haven't even mentioned Colorado yet, right? Like they're the they were the, well, the darling of college football last year. It's like this team. What what, were they, what are they sitting at? Like six and a half? Was that last year or right now? Or yeah, what is that? What is theirs right now? Theirs is five and a half. Five and a half. Yeah, it's like, and this is a team like we saw the buzz they created last year. Like, I think they're gonna see worse competition uh, in in the Big Twelve than they did in the Pac twelve. But but what to what extent? Uh, are they are they competing for the conference at the end of the year? I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to say anything like that. Colorado is an interesting one. Like five and a half. I mean, you're not going bowling. Like is you go two years, a lot of excitement. You have a lot of top end guys. You get Jordan Seaton in the fold. You have Travis Hunter, who should have another great year. Shador should be awesome. Um, you have Cormani McLean still. Let's see if he factors in at the other cornerback spot. Like you have some big time top. And also. The thing that Colorado did this offseason, like I thought the Sean Kelly stuff was weird. The offensive coordinator stuff when firing in midseason and now he's the head coach at San Diego State and all that. And I thought that was handled a little strange. Now Pat Shermer, who has a lot of NFL experience um, running more of the pro style stuff um, for the the buffs going into next year. But they built a great staff like this staff that Colorado still has. Like Dion's hiring really well. Like that's something that has to be talked about here is I'm curious when that starts to pay dividends because like 
say what you want about Dion and everything else, but the dude hires really well. And the 2024 staff is really good. Like you're going to have like Robert Livingston is a good defensive coordinator hire. Um, Jason Phillips, the wide receiver coach is a good hire. Um, there, Phil uh, Lodeholt is a good hire. Um, but I don't know. It's just interesting that you go through who he brought in and um, he's a simple to staff. Like it's a strong staff and there's still a lot of top end talent. Shador is the best quarterback in the conference. Travis Hunter, <laughs> best all around player. I don't know. Like Colorado, like you said, the biggest thing is the conference is a little bit easier um, and there is a little bit more talent. They're a little bit steadier. You know what you're getting more a little bit uh, year two with uh, Dion in uh, Boulder, but I don't know. I might. I might be leaning more towards the over in early March for Colorado. I think Shador will be, is still just gonna be really good. And I think the schedule will be a little bit better for the buffs. It is one of the more difficult schedules in the big 12 next year. So there is that. And like, they do have at Nebraska uh, who could be better in year two um, as well. And obviously it's a big rivalry game. So it's, it's not going to be easy in terms of big 12, but I think it's got to be easier than that schedule that had, Oregon on it a year ago and some of those teams out in the Pac-12. And I mean, there's no love loss with how Colorado State went last year. And now you got to go there. Like you said, you go to Nebraska. Um, you get Baylor at home. That'll be good. At ECF will obviously be hard. Um, you get Kansas State at home, which is big. Um, and then just the the one just hanging around. It's like Cincinnati. Like, I don't even know what to do with. Like, Cincinnati does not feel like a Big 12 team. They're just, there's no juice right now with the Bearcats whatsoever. And it's like five and a half for them. And I'm like, I don't know. They're, it just not a lot of juice. The Bearcats post Luke Fickle. Hey, and you got that North Dakota state game in the opener. They, uh, could yeah, they be I mean, dangerous. Could they, could they upset him? Maybe. Um, does it feel like to you though? Nine and a half uh, Utah. Is that your like cam rising back for his like 13th year of college football? Does that feel right? Uh, as they, as the winners for the first uh, year in the big 12. Yeah, they feel uh they feel like a safer bet than Kansas State. Like but those those do seem like the two teams that kind of they feel like the safest programs uh to bet on um in 2024. So Utah, I don't know, it's going to be interesting. They're definitely we're talking about uh the competition level. Like they're definitely going to be a big beneficiary of that. Like they they could be the best program. Like if you're ranking the like just the best programs right now in college football, like I you'd probably put her in the big 12. You'd probably put Utah number one, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're up there somewhere. I think too, for Utah, you know, it's funny is I kind of like the ball lovers, the actual football, like ground and pound, like physical style, Kansas state, Utah would slap in the big 12 title game. Like that's just two matching teams, two very physical. Like we're going to grind this out and make it as ugly as possible. Like we're Chris Kleiman versus Kyle Whittingham is going to be 20 to 17 and uh ball control. And I don't know. It's going to be funny. Cause like the rest of the conference isn't really going to play like that, but uh, Utah and Kansas state just might pulverize everybody uh, playing the style they want to play. Yeah, I'm here for it. I think uh I think Utah is is Cam Rising, like he he's a good player last time we saw him play. So see seeing him back, that should you know, he's he might not be the best quarterback in the Big Twelve, but I think you know what you're getting, and he's just gonna be a solid a solid quarterback that you don't have to worry about. No, hundred percent. 
Um, well, that's all I've got tonight, Matt Green. Uh, Big Ten next week. Um, more combine, more draft stuff. Who knows? They might add, pass some more rules while we're away here. Um, you never know in the college football landscape. More coaching changes. You never know uh, in that regard. Um, but by and large, uh, more college football down the pike. We'll have all kinds of great coverage and all kinds of great stuff to talk about uh, here in the offseason. Spring practice right around the corner. And uh, we'll start to get a better picture of depth charts and uh, all that good stuff. But uh, until next week, thank you as always, my friend. And I will talk to you very soon. Yes, sir. This is Ben Ingram, radio voice of the Atlanta Braves. And I'm here to tell you that you've reached the end of today's episode of the Chase Thomas podcast. As a friend of the podcast, I'd like to say thank you for listening to today's episode and hope you return for the next one. To show your support for the program, tell a friend or coworker or even a family member about the program. And if you're an Apple Podcast listener, leave the show a rating and a review. It goes a long way. That'll do it for me. But don't forget to listen to myself and the rest of the team at 680 The Fan and the Braves Radio Network this season. Go Braves! Chase, I think I'm going to hear more about you. I really do. I think you've got a way about you, but you're interviewing. Mm-hmm. You're, um, pleasantness you're smart so i think i'm going to hear big things about you nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah